1: seems right in the eyes of man, I could be and very possibly am moving directly opposite of what God's will is in my life. Can God's people do good things at the wrong time? Yeah, they can. And we do. We do. It it just made sense to do that. It just seemed logical to do that. And God is saying, I work outside of logic sometimes, son. And yet we just kind of move on. So, The application is, I need to check my motives. It can't be just a good thing. It has to be a God thing.
0: As Christians, we try hard to follow God's leading in our lives. In today's message, Pastor David encourages us to make decisions within God's will, rather than based solely on our own fleshly desires. We can do good things, but apart from God, they will not succeed or bear any fruit. God even works outside of logic, so we can't trust our own instincts to make good decisions. Are you allowing the Lord to lead you? Check your motives before moving forward. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message from the book of John chapter one, Simon Peter.
1: chapter 1, let's just look real quick as we introduce Simon Peter. Actually, his brother Andrew introduces him to Jesus, and what a great declaration that is about who Andrew is, but we're not looking at Andrew tonight, okay? So, uh, John chapter 1, beginning verse 35. Again, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. And looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. In verse 40. One of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Well, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Beginning with the name of Simon Bar Jonah, one of the first things that Jesus did with him is change his name. And for the most, the rest of the time that we know him, we hear him called either Simon Peter or Peter or Cephas throughout the rest of the uh, the, the word. It's interesting that Simon or Simeon is actually a shortened version of the biblical name Samuel, and Samuel has the meaning of God heard. If you remember, it was Samuel's mom who had been praying for a child, and God finally, she felt God finally heard her prayer, and she became pregnant with Samuel, her son. That's why she named him Samuel, God heard. Well, we don't know if uh, Peter was the oldest or not of his brothers or of his family, uh, but perhaps his mother was like Samuel's mother, had been praying for a child or praying for a son, and God heard. We don't know if he was the oldest, but we do know this. He was the most demonstrative of the two that we know of, of, between Andrew and Peter. Jesus looks at him and he tells him, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. And the name Cephas is simply the Aramaic way of saying the Greek name Peter. And they both have the same definition. Both Peter in the Greek and Cephas in the Aramaic, both of them mean the same thing. A stone. Not necessarily a big stone, just a a stone. And we find out from the other gospel records that the two brothers, Andrew and Peter, they were fishermen and they were partners in business with James and John and their father, Zebedee. And because of the way it's stated in Luke, we would assume, both by by Peter's character as well as the the wording, that Simon was very possibly the senior partner in all of this. Luke tells us that James and John and their father Zebedee were partners with Simon, not necessarily with Simon and Andrew. Well, there seems to be, as we join all of the gospel records together in, in, in 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 a procession, there seems to be this call of these men that progresses along the way to become full-time in their following of Christ. It seems in the early chapters of the gospel, there is this introduction to Jesus. There's a couple of places where they interact a few times, and then they go back to fishing, and then finally we see them in a full-time manner following the Lord. Eventually, we know that they finally uh, literally uh, forsook everything to follow the Lord. They explain that a little bit later in the gospels. And although they were originally from the, a little village of Bethsaida, which really they don't know for sure where Bethsaida is, eventually they all moved their lodging and the business down to the coastal city of Capernaum, and that's on the northwestern shore, the Sea of Galilee. It's here at this location that we first begin to understand the significance of Peter's house in the ministry of Jesus. It kind of becomes the hub of of Jesus's ministry all throughout Galilee. It's here where we also find out the fact that Peter is married. Remember, we find out in in Mark chapter 1 that uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and as they come into the house, Jesus prays for the mother in law and the mother in law is not only healed but she automatically gets up and begins serving everybody and cooks dinner for everybody so uh that's again what we see what we know about it thus far uh paul even writes about cephas or peter as being one of the apostles that takes his wife with him on his missionary journeys as a matter of fact paul is kind of complaining or or commenting to the corinthian church says don't we have the right to take along believing wives just like uh, Cephas and some of the others do? Let me get to point number one of our story and of our character study. If Peter was the oldest brother and if he was the senior partner in this fishing business, it might help us to be able to understand a little bit better the impetuousness of his nature. We, we, we find all throughout the, the gospel accounts of Peter's life as a man who most often acted first and then thought about it later. Uh, it's uh, John uh, Corson who says that he is a reactionary more than a visionary in those other days. He just responded rather than really seeking the Lord out. At one time, he'd be awarded by uh, the declarations that that Jesus would make to him and says, good job, Pete, Uh, I know that that wasn't you. It had to be God that was speaking through you, Pete. Great job. And then shortly afterwards, Jesus had to turn around, rebuke him harshly, directly, saying, get behind me, Satan, you don't have the mind of God in you, you have the mind of man in you. So this is the same God, or the same guy, One time, man, you're listening to the voice of God. The next time, you're being led by the mind of man rather than God. There's a saying that goes, ready, fire, aim. And in Peter's life, more often than not, that was the case. It kind of seemed to be his life pattern, particularly pre-Pentecost. That Peter was just moved And then he figured out the results and the consequences afterwards. More often than not, that got him into trouble. That brings me to the first principle of this character study. There's going to be three. Not always three, but this will be the first one of this one. The first principle is this. If zeal is not directed by the Spirit of God, it cannot please God. If zeal is not directed by God, by the Spirit of God, it cannot please God. Let me ask you this, and you can respond back. You're my Wednesday night crowd. If my zeal is not directed by God, who is it directed by? Myself? By Satan? By the world's allurements? So how can that ever please God? So that means that in my life, I need to make sure, and this brings to the lesson, the first lesson, that zeal, no matter how noble, no matter how earnest, if it's not under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, it will cause damage. Again, no matter how earnest, how noble, if it's not led by the Holy Spirit of God, it will cause damage. We see that pretty clearly, don't we, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Peter in his great zeal and earnestness and desire to serve the Lord takes out a sword and he whacks Malchus's ear off. I, you know he was headed for his head, but he was a fisherman, not a swordsman. Along with that lesson, we need to understand that although on occasion it might seem right to us, When I'm directed by my understanding and not by the Spirit, there is often a great deal of collateral damage done. And many times to those who are closest to me. So when I'm being led by my flesh, led by the world, led by anything other than the Spirit of God, it's not just me that suffers. Many times it's the people closest to me. So let's bring it to the first application. First application is this. I need to check my motives. I need to check my motives in everything I do, even the good things. If I'm motivated by fleshly understanding what seems right in the eyes of man, I could be and very possibly am moving directly opposite of what God's will is in my life. Can God's people do good things at the wrong time? Yeah, they can. And we do, we do. It it just made sense to do that. It just seemed logical to do that. And God is saying, I work outside of logic sometimes, son. And yet we just kind of move on. So the application is I need to check my motives. It can't be just a good thing. It has to be a God thing thing okay so let's move on to the second major point i don't i don't i don't want to be one of those that always put peter down as a matter of fact when we look at his life there's there's a number of things in his life and the way that he lives his life that really is a challenge to me and a, and, and i ought to be encouraged about let's let's look at one of these most famous events in in Peter's life, and this is this water walk of faith, okay? Most of you know the story, but turn there with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Okay, so let me give you the setting in case you're unfamiliar with the story. Jesus had been ministering to the multitudes. It was now well on into the early evening, perhaps even, even further into the evening. Finally... He knew that we had to call a halt to this. He told the disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'll dismiss the multitudes. I'll meet you over there. None of them thought about the fact, how is Jesus going to go? We're taking all the boats. But anyway, Jesus dismissed the multitudes. And as the multitudes went away, Jesus, instead of running around the shore to meet the guys, he goes up in the mountains and begins to pray. Now there he's all alone. Now verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In other words, the wind was blowing just the opposite of what they needed it to. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, and that's somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out with fear. Probably not too unlike what you and I would do if we were put in the same situation. But immediately, verse 27 tells us, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And one of the first things that you and I need to notice on this is that no one else made that request. It's like Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And all the rest of them joined in on the same. Yeah, Lord, let us all come. No, nobody else said anything. Peter is the only one. It was through that impulsiveness of Peter almost reckless abandon that 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 Peter had so many times, that with that he was able to experience something with Jesus that none of the other disciples ever had the opportunity to experience. As a matter of fact, that opportunity will never be given again, not to Peter, not to any of the other disciples. In the midst of his impulsiveness, you've got to catch this. Peter didn't jump out of the boat, okay? When Jesus says, you know, it's me, don't be afraid, it doesn't say that Peter jumped out of the boat and ran, started running to Jesus. Peter, even as impulsive and reactionary as he was, said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. I'm going to wait right here until you bid me to come. But when Jesus said come, Peter did the wildest, craziest thing you and I could ever begin to imagine. He really thought he could walk on water because he trusted the word of Jesus. In his impulsiveness, in his reactionary spirit, Peter says, Lord, boom, you bid me, I'm there, I'm going. I wish that was the end of the story. But you and I know that it's not. Verse 29 So Jesus had come, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. None of the other disciples can claim that. Only Peter. But verse 30 is where we get it. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Now, if you underline, highlight, or draw circles in your Bible, which I encourage you to do if it's your Bible, or if it's your neighbor's Bible, you can do that too. You can underline, circle, draw an arrow to, when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, that led to the second point, he was afraid. That led to the third point, he began to sink. He saw the wind, you think the wind was there before he got out of the boat? They'd been fighting the wind for hours, trying to get across the Sea of Galilee, which is not very big. The wind was blowing when Jesus came walking across. He said, ah, it's a ghost. Ah. And Jesus said, oh, it's me. Don't be afraid. The wind was still blowing. There were still waves going there at that time. Jesus said, hey, it's me. Come on out. Peter got out of the boat. The wind was still there. But the trick is, is that when he saw the wind, That's when he became afraid, and when he became afraid, that's when he began to sing. He cries out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did Peter fail in his walk of faith? Same reason you and I do. He got his eyes off the prize. And as soon as you and I get our eyes off the prize of faithfulness to God, we'll fail. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care if you got big flipper feet that you think you're going to be able to walk on water. You're not going to do it. Your walk of faith will struggle, stumble, and eventually fail if you get your eyes, if I get my eyes off the prize. He was no longer looking unto Jesus he began to look, catch this, he began to look at the impossibility of what was going on in his life. And folks, I know that for a lot of us, (laughs) impossibilities roll in. I mean, they just don't stroll in, they roll in. We don't just stumble upon them, they come by waves. And if we get our eyes on the impossibilities, we become afraid. And when we become afraid, with our eyes off the prize, off the Lord, will fail. As soon as his eyes left the gaze of the master, his faith drained away like somebody would tear the bottom out of a boat in the middle of the sea. It wasn't just a little leak that started happening. No, the bottom was ripped out and boom, he started going down. In principle, that's not too far from another event it happens later on in the gospels near the end of the gospels it's it's what happened to peter when he was in the courtyard of the high priest As he denies the Lord those three times. Remember, just a short time before, here Peter was willing to come against 500 armed men with only one sword. Yeah, he was ready to walk on water again. He was ready to believe the impossible. He was ready to go. But let me ask you this, number one, did Jesus bid him, Peter, get your sword? No, he didn't. Peter drew the sword in his own strength, his own logic. It made sense. It was a good thing. I want to protect Jesus. It's a good thing to do, but I'm not following the Lord in this. I'm following my own logic. I'm following my own understanding. I've got the resource to do it, and surely the Lord will make it better. You know, I know he can do those kinds of things, but God didn't tell him to do. He was ready to walk on water, but it wasn't time to walk on water. He would have continued on. I think he would have continued on to his own death, but the Lord had to stop him even there, and then the Lord had to take care of the collateral damage of, again, his acting and responding, reacting by his own logic. Now, after following from there in the garden, after they arrested Jesus, Peter followed. And Remember, the the, the the gospel is very clear. He followed at a distance, and it ends up, after he follows in the distance, he finds himself in the courtyard of the enemy and he's being taunted by this little maiden the guy that was just about ready to take on 500 men with one sword this little maiden comes aren't you with jesus no i don't know jesus i don't know jesus until the point that you know how it goes three times and finally he begins to curse and to swear and he leaves the garden and goes out into the darkness the bottom of his boat literally is ripped out and he sinks into the ocean Once again. So I want to bring it to a principle for us, our second principle in the three. Our walk as Christians is always, always a walk of faith. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, that without faith it's impossible to please God. And Paul warns the church of Galatia. He says, "What? having begun by faith, are you now being perfected by your own strength, by your own abilities? Paul again warns him, no, you've got to be walking in faith. You are saved in faith. You and I walk in faith. Every aspect of our life needs to be in faith. We live, we walk, we breathe, everything in faith. It can't be made uh, you know, by our own strength, by our own abilities. Paul tells the Corinthians that we walk by faith and not by sight. The entirety of our Christian experience, our walk must be by faith, not by sight. Because as soon as I see the waves, I get scared. As soon as I get scared, I start getting over my head.
0: Pastor David has been introducing us to biblical characters through this series, some who knew Jesus, some who only knew the prophecies, but all who were led by their Creator. They weren't perfect, as we see again and again, but that didn't disqualify them. Mistakes don't disqualify you either. God can and wants to use you today to do something incredible for the kingdom. Are you ready to step out in faith? We'd love to be praying for you as you do. So give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word. And we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks,
1: Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on the open word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings, so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com.
0: We'd love to meet you in person, too. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find all the information you need at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.